What if uh, seven words could dramatically and significantly affect the quality and direction and the impact of your life? Uh, what if seven words could change your perspective and therefore cause you to see life and experience life in an entirely different way? What if seven words, within those seven words, you could find peace and joy, contentment and fulfillment like you can find in no other place? And what if seven words, what if I told you seven words could change your life? And maybe bigger and better than that, what if I told you that seven words could help you change someone else's life? There's seven words that they were spoken by Jesus and you've heard them before, but I, I want you to try to hear them as though it were the very first time. Th these are the seven words that Jesus spoke. It is better to give than receive. It is better to give than receive. And, and these are powerless words. These are impotent words until you actually believe them to the point that you're willing to try it. They're powerless words until you actually practice them because when you practice these words, you then experience the power of their truth. These words will mean nothing to you. These words will change nothing about you until you actually put those words to the test and you actually begin to experience the truth of the words that Jesus spoke. Now, this idea that it's better to give than receive, it's counter to our nature because we're just born believing it's better to hold on, it's better to receive than it is to give. That's the reason every parent in this room or Williamsburg and Somerset, uh, that's, that's why we've all had to teach our kids to share. We want our kids to believe that it is good to give and just not to receive. It's okay to receive, it's good to receive, it's fun to receive. Right, but it is better according to Jesus to give than receive. Now, this particular phrase of Jesus, this quote of Jesus was quoted by the apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Now it's red letter, if you have a red letter Bible indicating that Jesus spoke those words and you would expect that you would be able to flip open the New Testament to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and find where Jesus said those words, but you can't do it. Matthew didn't record it, Luke didn't record it, Mark didn't record it, and John didn't record it. And the reason that most every scholar believes that Jesus indeed said these words, because Paul, he knew that Jesus had said these words, it, it, most scholars pretty much agree on the fact that this is one of those things that Jesus said so many times, nobody really thought to write it down. Matthew didn't think to write it down. Mark, Luke, John, they didn't think to write it down because Jesus just said it so very many times. It was one of the sticky statements of Jesus. You know, he, he leveraged the power of repetition. You know, I've been here for 13 years. Some of you have been here for enough years that sometimes I say something and before I say it, you're able to finish my sentence. And, and that's the power of repetition because you've got it in your head and you're able to regurgitate it. And Jesus, he had the very same approach when it came to this statement. He said it over and over again so that, you know, it didn't matter what he was preaching about and it didn't matter what he was teaching about. He found a way to slip it in. It is better to give than receive. It is better to give than receive. So much so that his audience, before he ever finished the sentence, they could say, oh, it's better to give than receive. He's saying it again. It's better to give than receive. So if he said it over and over and over again, I think that all of us who follow Jesus ought to be curious and ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus say it over and over again? And I think it's because that Jesus wanted you to know and Jesus wanted me to know and Jesus wanted all of us to know that our best version of life is found in giving, not receiving. 
Jesus wanted, to know, wanted us all to know that our greatest joy is not found in receiving, it's found in giving. Jesus wanted us all to know that fulfillment and contentment is not found in what I receive, but it's actually found in what I give away. Jesus said it over and over again to remind all of us that the quality of our life is not based on the standard of our receiving, but on the standard of our giving. So he said it over and over and over again because Jesus didn't want you to miss it and Jesus didn't want me to miss it. He wanted us all to know that the life that we all ultimately want is found in what we call generosity. That the life that you want, the life that you desire, it's ultimately found in giving, not receiving. Now, whenever people think about generosity, the first thing they think about is money. Now, money is a part of generosity. It's an important part of generosity, but it's not the entirety of generosity. So. For those of you, you know, that, you know, we're talking about money a little bit. For those of you who need to take a breath, go ahead and take it. It's okay. You will survive. Many of you will even choose to come back next week. And so it's going to be great. So Jesus, he said this over and over again because generosity is such a big part of our lives and it deals with money, but it's so much bigger than our money. So I wanted to give you a definition that maybe you could write down, you could put it in your phone, just so that we all know what generosity actually is. Generosity is a willingness and an eagerness to give liberally, to give liberally of who we are and what we have. It's more than just what we have, it's really about who we are. It's a willingness, there's a decision. You're never gonna be generous on accident. You have to decide, I wanna be a generous person, I'm gonna put my yes on the table. It will never happen accidentally in your life. You will never stumble upon generosity. You will have to intentionally pursue being a generous person. It is an eagerness that you're always looking, you're, you're listening for opportunities to be generous. You don't sit back, you're so inspired and so motivated about being generous that, that you're just ready to go when the moment comes when you have the opportunity to be generous. So this is what generosity is. And so generosity can work in lots of different ways. And many of you've heard this before, but, but you can be generous with your time, right? You have the opportunity to be generous with your time. You, you can give your time to someone and in giving someone time, you're giving someone part of your life. Um, a lot of you don't feel like you have enough time to be generous with, but, but I think that we all probably have more time than what we think. Uh, at least that's what the experts tell us. If you work 60 hours a week, most of you don't, uh, statistically. If you work 60 hours a week and you sleep eight hours a night, and statistically, hardly any of us are sleeping eight hours a night. But if you work 60 hours a week and you sleep eight hours a night, that leaves you with 52 hours, 52 hours of discretionary time. 52 hours that you get to decide where it goes. And some of you, you've decided to put it in some places that you know, you're just not real sure if anything good is coming of it or not. And that's, that, that's your decision, that's your choice. You have control over your time and nobody can tell you what to do with that time other than you. You say yes, you say no. And what you say yes or no to, that's all on you. That's you, that's your husband, that's your family, that's your choice. But you have about 52 hours to decide, hey, I can be generous with my time. And experts are telling us, these are not even Christian experts. Experts are telling us that people who give five hours of their time volunteering to something, to a cause, whether they're local church, a charity, their community, someone who volunteers five hours of their time a month, they are significantly more happy and less stressed than people who do not. So again, Jesus said it's better for you to give than receive. And when you give of your time generously, you volunteer. You find a place to invest your time, 
you will be happier and you will be less stressed. And so Jesus really does know what he's talking about when he says it's better to give than receive. We can also be generous with our talent. Everybody here has something to offer. If you're a follower of Christ and you're part of the local church, you call the Creek Church your church, you have a talent, you have a gift. Everybody has a seat at the table called the local church. And every person has something to bring to the table that blesses all the other people at the table. Matter of fact, the New Testament says if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, you, you've got a gift to share. And when you share your gift with the local body, everybody is better for it. Some of you do that by being hospitable on Sunday morning with guest services. You're just, you're just one of those people. You smile and you say hello. You know, you welcome people when they come in and you know they're lying to you when you say, hey, how's your morning? And they say, it's great. You know, they're lying. It's not been great for many of them, but hey, you're helping them feel better, right? You're helping disarm people when they show up to church and they're full of angst about, hey, they're in church and on Sunday morning, they haven't been in church in a long time. We have people who work cameras and soundboards and people who share of their giftedness in music and vocals and, and folks who sit with children and teach them and folks who take care of babies and invest their life into students who, who share their gifts and talents in so many different ways. And we're all the better for it. We're all the better for it. And every time you share what you're good at, every time you share what is uniquely good about you, what God has put inside of you, it makes all of us better. So I don't know what you're good at, but I know there's lots of opportunities in the local church to be generous with your talent. And I would encourage you to decide to do that. But then of course, you can be generous with your treasure. And this is the part where we struggle most. Maybe this is why Jesus talked more about our money than he just about did anything else. And if you're here and you're thinking, I just don't think they should talk about money in church. I, I just need to let you know, you wouldn't have liked Jesus very much. You really wouldn't have. Half of Jesus's parables were about your money. Half of them. Half of Jesus's parables were about my money. Half of them. Do you, do you think that he thought it was a big deal? Do you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell? And I mean, does it get any bigger of a deal than heaven or hell? Jesus talked more about money than he did love. And he said that was the most important thing. So if, if Jesus decided to spend so much time and attention on treasure, treasure must be a really, really big deal. And we as followers of Jesus ought to lean in and be interested in how Jesus felt about money and what we do with our money, according to Jesus. Th you've heard this before. Jesus said this about our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an unsettling truth. See, we wanna think that we're so good that, you know, our faith can lead our heart or love will lead our heart. Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. Jesus said, let me tell you how it works for you and let me tell you how it works, you know, for everybody. That your money will lead your heart. Now, we don't even like the way that sounds. But wherever you put your money, that's where your heart will be. And here's the thing, God cares about your heart. You already knew that, you already believed that. God cares about your heart, the condition of your heart, how sensitive your heart is to him, how sensitive your heart is to other people. God cares about our heart and because God cares about our heart, he says, I also care about your money because your money will lead your heart. And because I care about your heart, I have to also care about your money. So this is a big deal. And if you take Jesus seriously, you have to take everything that he said seriously. Jesus said, not only does your money lead your heart, he said, you know, that's unsettling enough. He said, but the, let me take it a step further. The greatest competition in your life for God, the greatest competition in your life with God is money. Jesus said this, 
He said, no one can serve two masters. You've heard this before. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said, there's only room for one thing in the middle of your life that you order your life around and you organize your life around. And he says, it has to be God. But most of the time, our greatest temptation is, is to slip God out as the part that we order and organize around. And unknowingly, unintentionally sometimes, we put money there. Money has unintentionally become the most important thing, though none of us would ever feel comfortable admitting that. Jesus said, though, that's gonna be true for you and it's gonna be true for me. That when left to yourself, God will take second, second seat, third seat, fourth seat behind the treasure. That's the reason Jesus taught about generosity quite a bit. And if Jesus taught about it, we should care what he taught about it. Jesus celebrated it. He would point it out. He would be preaching and all of a sudden he would say, hey, stop, everybody, hey, hey, ho, ho. Look over there, look over there. There's a widow giving. Look at that act of generosity. And he would point to it and celebrate it. He would say, hey, at a dinner party, look at Mary, everybody. Look at Mary, what she's doing. She's broke open this very costly alabaster box as a gift to me. Look at her generosity. They're gonna tell her story around the world until time ends. Because Jesus thought it was a really big deal. And then Jesus demonstrated generosity. He gave himself for you and for me and for our sin and for the sin of the world. And when you look at Jesus in the gospels and you listen to what Jesus said in the gospels, the thing that I think is obviously clear about what Jesus believed when it comes to generosity was this right here. Generosity changes lives. Matter of fact, at all three of our campuses, let's just say this together on three. One, two, three. Generosity changes lives. You can't debate that. It's so obvious with what Jesus taught. It's so obvious in how he demonstrated and modeled it personally. The generosity changes lives. And you hear us talk about this all the time at church. And you need to know, we all need to know that we get this from Jesus. If Jesus valued generosity, how can I as a follower of Jesus not value generosity? If Jesus valued generosity, how can you as a follower of Jesus not value generosity? You should value generosity if for no other good reason, and there are lots of good reasons, but you should value generosity simply because Jesus did. Generosity changes lives. Generosity received changes lives. Generosity received is life-changing. You know this, this is part of your story. If you told someone your story and you told it long enough and thought hard enough, somewhere in the midst of your story, you would talk about how once upon a time you were the recipient of an act of generosity and in some way it changed and impacted your life. As a Jesus follower, we have all been impacted by the generosity of God. For God so loved that he gave. We've all been recipients of the extravagant generosity of God. But beyond that, many of us could tell the story of how we have been the recipients of acts of generosity from other people that have left us changed. And I can tell you that's true in my own life. I could tell you story after story, and, and I've told you a couple of them before, but they're just such a significant part. And I want you to know that oftentimes when we are doing something generous, sometimes we don't even realize we're doing something generous and we don't even realize that it's changing someone's life. One of my best friends from you know, my teenage years was a guy by the name of Ben and, and his mother, Melissa. She, she was just so generous to me. She would invite me into their home. You know, I'd be waiting for Ben to get home or something from, from basketball practice or something. And I, I'd beat him there. And, and I, would just, I would just wait in the kitchen and she would, she would pull up a chair. She'd make hot chocolate. 
the best hot chocolate I have ever tasted in my entire life. I don't know what that woman did to it, but it was amazing. It was anointed. It was gloriful. And uh, gloriful is not even a word, but it is with hot chocolate. And, and, and so she, she would invite me in and she would pull up a chair and she would just listen to all my drama. Now, I got great parents and I love my parents. And this is not a knock on them. This is not a knock on me, but we, we just didn't have one of those relationships where we talked. You know, I, I didn't go to them with my problems and, and they really didn't invite me to come to them with my problems. I, I mean, it was just kind of the family thing. And it's not a thing against them and it was just what it was. But she was kind of like a stand-in parent because sometimes it's easier to talk to someone who's not your mom or your dad than it is to actually talk to your mom or your dad. And parents, it's why it's so important to have adults, good adults in the local church in the life of your students and children so that they could perhaps talk to someone about something that's really important that they can't talk to you about. She, she would sit there and listen to me and she would always steer me towards faith. She would always point me towards Jesus. And, and I can't quantify the good that that did at such a strategic point in my life. I can't tell you where I would be at today without that, with just out time that she gave and the genuine interest that she gave. It was, it was unbelievable. Another gentleman in my life, still friends to this day, his name's Tim Mills, and he, he was the first preacher to invite me to come speak at his church when I was trying to decide his ministry for me, you know, should I do this, should I not do this, you know, is God calling me, is not, you know, all that. He invited me to come preach at his church, and I, and I didn't know what a big deal that was until I became a pastor. Because when you invite somebody like new, fresh to your church, to speak to your church, and you have no idea what they may say, I mean, they, they, could just, they could just blow the whole thing up in less than 15 minutes. I mean, just, and he invited me to come and I was so, I was just so ignorant. I was so green. I, I didn't know who I was trying to be. I was probably trying to be five different people at one time. And looking back, I was so ridiculous, but he invited me. And then you know what? He invited me back. And I don't know where I would be at today without a simple, generous invitation. It was it's just unbelievable. Allison and I had a terrible ministry experience, right? And at the end of it, we didn't like church people. We didn't like staff people. We didn't like preacher people. We didn't like many people at all. And there was an interim time between, you know, my, my ending of my ministry position until we were gonna move to Georgia and I was gonna do a mentor, mentorship with Pastor Johnny at uh, Woodstock. And uh, in the meantime, Steve and Alice Yuri, uh, many of you, you just don't even know them, but, but a couple, uh, basically they were directors at the children's home in Barberville, if you, if you know of that place. Um, but they made up a job for me. They just made up a job for me. They, they, they didn't really need to hire me, but they hired me, they made a job for me. And they invited me to come down there. And that's what I did. And my, my job, my, my job was from, you know, the first that I got there in the morning to the end of the evening was to walk teenagers around who had been placed in state custody because some horrible things had been done to them. And in some cases they had done some horrible things. And in some cases they had done horrible things because someone had first done horrible things to them. And I walked around and I listened to those students and their heartbreaking stories from eight in the morning to about four in the afternoon. And that's where I kind of fell back in love with ministry. And I can't, I can't tell you the value of just making somebody up a job. You didn't need me, but you just said, come on down. I mean, that's incredibly generous. People have paid for our meals when we were first married. They invited us out to dinner. It was a big deal. I didn't even have money to buy the engagement ring that I wanted to buy for Allison and a couple. I didn't ask them for it, but they just kind of knew and they gave me the money for it. And I'm telling you, I don't know who I would be or where I would be without the generosity that I have been on the receiving 
end of it. It's absolutely amazing. And the same is true for you because generosity is a powerful thing. When you receive it, it is life changing. But not only that, generosity observed is life changing. Whenever you see someone do something generous and you happen to be around or you happen to hear about it, it inspires and it motivates you to do something similar. That's the reason Jesus pointed out the widow. That's the reason Jesus pointed out Mary. Think of how many people have been inspired by those two women's you know, generosity. Think about it. Those two ladies and their generosity has inspired men and women around the world for 2,000 years to be generous. For 13 years as the pastor of this church, I have watched one radical act of generosity after the other. And for all of us that are here in London where I'm at this morning, for those of you in Williamsburg and for those of you in Somerset, we are all sitting in seats, but we're all standing on the shoulders of someone else's generosity. And we're all standing on the shoulders of generosity from people that we may never meet. And we may never know, and they may never meet us or may never know us. But our, our place where we are right now, our lives have been changed. And I've had a seat, a front row seat to some of this generosity. Back in the early days, we had a, we had a campaign to raise money for our church. It was called Envision. And, and Allison and Brian, my brother-in-law, they, they bought an Adobe um, like software system and they, they made all the brochures. I mean, we still got copies of them and, and, and they were up there working for hours and, and we were just inviting people like, hey, we're gonna go build a church. In those days, we thought we were gonna build a church from the church that was out in the middle of nowhere down on Hot Creek Road. We thought we were gonna build a church across the, across the road from it. And so, you know, we had big plans, but God had bigger plans and, and we had good plans, but God had better plans. And so we just challenged everybody to give. I mean, you know, be generous. And, and, and he may not appreciate me telling it, but he's family and he has to forgive me. But my brother-in-law who, who lived with us at the time, he, before he was married, obviously. And uh, so he was single, he was living upstairs in our house. He just got out of pharmacy school, but, but he, he'd gone through you know, uh, a season where he, he just had been a little under the weather and sick and, and whatnot. And, and it came time to pledge, you know, hey, this is, this is what we're gonna do. And, and even though he was battling with, with an illness and an ongoing diagnosis that he still would be dealing with today, he decided, and I think about this oftentimes, I think about this all the time, even in the midst of a really, really unfortunate diagnosis, when it would be real easy to think, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reserve. He gave over 50% of his income for the next three years to help us move forward as a church. And I watched that firsthand and I'm telling you, it's so inspiring. It, it, it was so motivating then, it is so motivating now. I, I remember in those first days when we were in that little bit of gym, I, I remember a gentleman who walked up in our church, who'd been in that church all of his life and he said, Trevor, I don't have a lot of money, but I tell you the thing I love most is fishing and I got a boat and I'm gonna sell my boat and I'm gonna give that money so that we can build that church. And it was unreal. It's like I wanted to stop and say, no, don't, don't, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. But, but he had to do that. And it was just so amazing. And it was so inspiring, so inspiring. People, when we needed 200 plus thousand dollars to get the down payment on this building here in London, our church stepped up and gave over $230,000. It was amazing. When we got in another tight spot right in the middle of this construction, Sorry. Right in the middle of just things just being so difficult, 
God spoke to one of our gentlemen and he, he stepped up and he, he gave over a quarter million dollars and it was just, I, it was unbelievable. It was just, I, I, I sit back and I was so inspired. I was so, I was so motivated. I still am today and people have given for parking lot. Listen, there, there were folks here in London who, who didn't know hardly anybody in Somerset, but we decided we were gonna put a campus in Somerset and people in London, People in London that many of you in Somerset will never meet and you don't have a clue who they are, they gave over $200,000 to start our Somerset campus. And last week, our Somerset campus had 416 people in attendance. I mean, isn't that amazing? And it's so motivating. And then last year we said, hey London, hey Somerset, let's do together. Let's do this together and let's put a church in Williamsburg. And they gave over you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars again to get Williamsburg up and going. And Williamsburg last week had 254 people in attendance. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, it's one thing after the other. I've opened up checks. I've opened up checks from prisoners who've tithed to our church. I've opened tithe checks as big as $2.25. I've opened tithe checks as extravagantly generous as $5. I mean, unbelievable generosity. I've seen generosity come with lots of zeros. I've seen incredible generosity come with just a few zeros. Because generosity is not about how much you give, but generosity really is about how much you keep. And I've seen this happen over and over again. And you need to know what kind of church you're in. You need to know how generous people are. Because we're standing on the shoulders of generous people. Every single one of us. But then there's this, generosity practiced is life-changing. It is better to give than watch someone else give. It is better to give than to receive what someone else is giving. It's hard to believe that's true, but Jesus said it was true. And you either take Jesus seriously or you don't. Jesus either knew what he was talking about or he didn't. And he said, it's better to give than receive. You receive, it's life-changing. You watch someone else give and someone else receive, it's life-changing. But when you give, in some way it's even better, it's bigger. The apostle Paul, who, who was talking to a bunch of Christians like, like many of us, and he was inviting them to test God, risk a step of faith and to become generous. He was writing to a group of Christians living in Corinth and he was trying to raise money for the church, the church that was in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, I wanna invite all of you Corinthians to be generous. So let me inspire you and motivate you to be generous. And so the, re the way that Paul inspired them and motivated them to be generous, he said, let me tell you about some other Christians living in Macedonia, places like Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. He says, let me tell you about their generosity because when you hear about their generosity, you will be more inspired to be generous like never before. And so here's what Paul said about those Christians living in Macedonia and their generosity. Here's what he said. He said, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, now listen to these words, just don't listen to these words. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's such a whacked up way of putting things based on human logic. He says, they're going through difficult times, they're in poverty, but their difficult times and their poverty resulted in generosity. 
That's not normal, that's not natural. But that was a group of people who believed that it's better to give than receive. Now, this is also important to point out. Their faith, and obviously they've got great faith, their faith did not change their circumstances. Their faith changed the way they saw and experienced their circumstances. And even though they were going through difficult times and even though they were in poverty, they still made the decision. They were still eager to be generous. It was unbelievable. Trials plus poverty equals joy and generosity. That's not how it works in the world. But when you believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about and you believe that generosity changes lives, even your circumstances will be experienced differently. And here's what Paul is making a point to say. He's saying this, there will always be a good reason to not be generous, but there will never be a good enough reason to not be generous. You and I will always find a reason, a good reason to not be generous. But Paul, using those Christians as an example, he said, you'll never find a good enough reason to not be generous. You'll find a good reason, but not a good enough reason. So he goes on, he says, for I testify that they, those Macedonian Christians, they gave as much as they were able and they even gave beyond their ability. How is that even possible? How do you give beyond what you're able to give? Paul's saying, you don't have to be rich to be richly generous. Generosity is about being generous with what you've been given, whether you've been given a little, you've been given medium, or you've been given a lot. That's what generosity is. Generosity is not about how much you give, but it really is about how much you keep. And here's what Paul is hinting at. In our country, this is the sad reality. The people who are on the bottom 20% of income earners give twice as much proportionately as people at the top 20% income earners. The low income earners give twice as much as the high income earners because something happens, the more we get, the more we receive, the more we're tempted to hold on to it. You feel that, I feel that, we'll all feel that. It doesn't matter how much more, whenever more comes our way, we wanna hold on to it. So they gave in a way that seemed reckless. They gave in a way that seemed ridiculous. Paul goes on, he says, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They begged to be a part of this. They wanted the opportunity to give. Can you imagine? In severe trial, in poverty, they were like, don't leave us out of this. Don't, don't leave us behind. We want the opportunity to be generous. And Paul says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and, they, and then by the will of God also to us. And Paul's simply saying, when you surrender yourself to God, you surrender everything else you have. You surrender who you are to God. And when you surrender to God, it's easier to surrender. All the other things that can be difficult to surrender like our time, talent, and treasure. So he's now trying to inspire them to give, all right? He says so, for I know, Corinthians, for I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. I've been telling them since last year that those of you in Achaia were ready to give and that your enthusiasm, now listen to this, has stirred most of them to action. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul said, hey, I mentioned this to you all in Corinth a year ago and you were like, yes, we wanna give, we wanna be generous, yes. Count us in, yes, our yes is on the table. It's been a year later, Paul, he went over to Macedonia and he said, hey, those Corinthians, they said they're ready to be generous. 
They said they're ready to give. And the fact that you said you were ready to give inspired them in their poverty and in their severe affliction to give. Your pledge to be generous inspired people to be generous. And so Paul, in in a very diplomatic way, he's like, okay, the time has now come for you to be generous like you said you wanted to be generous. He says, so I'm inviting all of you. And just imagine Paul speaking to you very personally and me very personally. He says, I'm inviting you into this life of generosity. I invite you and I dare you to try and see if it's not true that it's better to give than receive. While you're weighing your option about giving, while you're weighing your option about will I or will I not, he says, here's what I want you to do. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Say, what is Paul saying? Exactly what you think he is. It's a little uncomfortable, I get it, I understand. In the world that we live, after the 80s and all the televangelists with bad hair, right? I, I get it, so, sounds, a little, sounds a little sketchy. But this, this is not televangelists. This is not cable channel. This is not radio. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. These are the New Testament scriptures and he says, listen, your generosity is not connected to like moral law, it's connected to natural law. Amen. He, he says, when you give, it's like sowing seed. And the more seeds you sow, the more you harvest. Now farmers, farmers know this. If you're a farmer, you know this, right? No farmer feels good about seed in his pocket. What good is seed in the pocket? Seeds are not supposed to be in one's pocket. Seed is supposed to be in the ground because you put it in the ground to get the harvest. Seed in your pocket does not make you feel secure as a farmer, no. Paul says, so listen, every farmer knows this. When you sow seed, you're not wasting seed. You're sowing seed to get a harvest. And he says, if you sow a little seed, you're gonna gain a little harvest. But if you sow a lot of seed, you're gonna gain a big harvest. Now again, we either take this seriously or we don't. That's that's, that's up to you. You either take the apostle Paul seriously, you take Jesus seriously, or you don't. You don't have to take me seriously. You, You may not. I would encourage you probably don't take me seriously. But I would encourage you to take Paul and Jesus seriously. You will never waste what you give away. Matter of fact, he says, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And so he goes on, he says, each of you then should give what you've decided in your heart because this is your decision. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. This is not about guilt. This is not about, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I gotta do this or, you know, he says, it's not about that at all. So he goes on and this is where it gets good. You just, if you miss this, I'm telling you, don't miss it. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be able to abound in every good work. Because God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, now listen, this is where you come in and I come in, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that purpose statement, you can be generous on every occasion. Now, th- this, this is unbelievable. And I know you're uncomfortable, it's okay, you'll survive. God takes notice of generosity and God gives to givers so that they can continue to give. God takes notice of generosity and he gives to givers and he will even grow the giver so that the giver can give more. Not keep more, but give more. This is unbelievable. If this is true, what are most people holding out for? 
because it's an act of faith. It's because we have a hard time believing that it really is more blessed to give than receive. See, if you decide to be generous, there'll be some things about you that will become very predictable. Even non-Christians will tell you this. You can, you can Google it, you can find it out, you can study it on your own. Generous people save more. Generous people spend less. And generous people give generously. Do you know what non-generous people do? They save less, they spend more, and they typically give what's left over if they give it all. It is in your best interest not according to me, but to Paul. You give, you get, you get to give more. How fun is that? How exciting is that? See, generosity is a result of believing that I have enough because God is enough. This is what it is. Now, and I'll leave it here. There's two types of generosity. There's spontaneous generosity and there's systematic generosity. Spontaneous generosity is emotional. It's, it's the result of seeing a need, you see a need, you hear a need, somebody says, oh my gosh, I'm in a pinch, you know, you know we got a problem, but da, 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 and you're like, okay, here, I'm gonna give you some money. Spontaneous generosity. And, and we all lack that. Matter of fact, many of us, that's our favorite type because it, it makes us feel good because we, we can just, boom, it's there. I see it, I experience the need, I feel the need, I saw the need, I heard the need, boom, there it is. Spontaneous generosity. You can measure it. You, you can see the good that it did immediately almost. But, but the part of generosity that many of us, we need to reevaluate and to recommit to is systematic generosity. Systematic generosity is not so emotional. It's not so sexy because we don't always feel it and we don't always see it and we don't always hear it. Giving to the local church, and I think every Christian should give to their local church, whatever the local church is. Whatever you call yourself Jesus follower, Christian, whatnot. If you're a part of the church, you should have a church. And if you call the Creek Church your church or another church your church, I think that we should be systematically generous to our local church. I think that the greatest thing that I can do in this world is to invest in seeing people far from God coming to faith in Christ. That is my mission, that is your mission, that is our mission. But systematic generosity that keeps the lights on, you know, that, that's not all that exciting. But I wanna encourage those of you who don't necessarily buy into systematic generosity that I think that you should because every single time that you give to your local church, and I want you to feel good about when you give to your local church, every single time you give to your local church because of what's happening in children's and what's happening in students, you are helping to rescue and preserve the faith of a future generation. Every time you give to put t-shirts on volunteers, to make sure that the building is clean, to make sure the electricity is on, to make sure that the parking lots are in good shape, to make sure that the building looks nice, to make sure that the worship service sounds good and looks good. Every single time you give to that, you cannot possibly measure the good that it does when somebody walks in this building at the end of their rope, whether of their faith or maybe of their life in general, and they come in and because of something they see or they hear or they experience, they decide to give faith another shot, they decide to give life another shot, they decide to give their family another shot. They decide to give their husband another shot, their children another shot. You can't possibly put a price tag on that. And most of the time we never know when those things are happening because systematic generosity is preventative. Prevention is not sexy. We never know how many people in the course of what we do Sunday in and Sunday out 
causes someone to take a step that changes everything about their life and the future of their family's lives. It's unbelievable. We've built wells and we've dug wells for water in Africa and we've built churches and schools in Haiti and we've given to church plants in Los Angeles. We've underwritten nonprofits all in our community. We've given away thousands of meals. We've bought thousands of pairs of tennis shoes for children. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. The good that you do when you give systematically cannot possibly be measured. And I wanna invite those of you who aren't there to give it a shot and see if giving is not better than receiving. I bet you can't think of a better place to invest your treasures than the local church. I'm not telling you to do, I, I, I believe in my church. I'm not even saying for this year, I think that, I don't think there's an enterprise, I don't think there's an organization that has the capacity to do more good, both interventionally and provincially than the local church. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. And then I love this. He said, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. You know what he's saying? When you give generously, spontaneously, systematically, there are gonna be people who thank God for what God did for them. And what they don't realize is they're actually also thanking God because of your generosity. I believe in the local church. I'm hanging the faith of the next generation on the local church. I don't think that there's any better mobilized organization on the planet that can do more than the local church. We have 2000 plus people every single Sunday. You tell me how you can measure and quantify the good that Jesus is doing in and through his people. I wanna invite you to give Jesus' words a shot and see if you don't also find out that it's better to give than receive. And I guarantee you when you do, lives will be changed. Those who receive it, Perhaps those who observe it, it will change lives that direction, that direction, and it will change it in your direction as well. Heavenly Father, God, it's, it's a step of faith. It's an uncomfortable step of faith. But God, as many excuses as we can come up with to not be generous with both time, talent, and treasure, God, I pray that we'll realize there's not a good enough reason. God, I pray that we will take a step of faith. I pray folks will embrace the idea of generosity, both in their personal lives and also in the life of their local church. Because God, we can do together what none of us can do alone. And I pray that you will invite us in, that we will take this step into this amazing life generosity. In Jesus' name.